Our first reading this day comes from Psalm 77, verses 1 through 2 and 11 through 13. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great is our God. Our second reading comes from the ninth chapter of Luke, verses 51 through 62, a familiar story. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire and come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let us pray. God, we confess it is not easy to follow you. It's not easy to go where you go. So Lord, we ask for just the measure of your Holy Spirit to guide, to guide us and lead us in all that we do. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. 
Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. That's funny, but what, wouldn't it be nice if it were that simple? I mean, if we could have church our way, that is a great world. It's, it makes for a really good sermon intro, but sadly, it's nowhere close to the reality of, of Christian living. And what our text does for us today is the would-be followers of Jesus have their own little moment like this. When I think of... Uh, how hard it is to follow Jesus. I'm reminded of, of C.S. Lewis and his words in his book, Mere Christianity, when he says, speaking of just one element of Christian living, he says, forgiveness is easy until you have to forgive. Following Christ is easy until you actually have to follow Christ somewhere. Now, in Jesus' responses to the would-be followers we hear in our, in our passage, we see it's not as easy as uh, the virtual church. There's no virtual following of Jesus. Uh, and we know this. I mean, how many times have you heard someone like me stand up here and tell you about how much it costs to be a disciple? How many sermons have you heard on the cost of discipleship? Typically, those sermons are usually followed with a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. What does it mean? What does it cost to follow Christ? Well, let's take a different look at this passage, uh, a different look at the cost of discipleship in this would be, and these would-be followers' responses. How they responded, why they responded. And there was something familiar about how they responded. There was a certain lack of urgency to their answers. I will follow you, Lord. I will go where you lead. But first, let me say farewell to those at home. Now, the third response is unique to Luke. And it contains elements of the first two responses to the call to follow. And you notice it has the same structure, the formula. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me do this. I'll follow you, Lord, but first I need to go and do something other than follow you right now. What's clearly missing is a sense of urgency. The call of Christ, the cross, the mission of the church waits for no one. It's a matter of time. And we struggle with this concept of time because we live in this digital world where everything happens so fast and there's, there's such a convenience, there's, there's an ease to things. I, I think about even playing in church as a child when my grandmother used to make me and my sister go. And I remember in the pews, I mean, I could not imagine if we had something like this or a phone or the thing on my watch. All you had 
was the pencils in the little hole in front of the pew and the offering envelopes. And you couldn't write on those because his grandma would say, boy, the church paid for those. Those cost money. Don't waste them. It's a challenge for us because like those would-be followers, we live in this constant budgeting where we, where we budget our time and our talents. We're constantly negotiating uh, with God, how much of myself can I really afford to give? I have this and I have that, and uh, I don't know if I can give my time to this. It's common for us. I will follow, but first, let me do it in a way that allows me to keep the sameness of my life. I will follow, but let me uh, not stray too far from the center of, of, of what makes me uh, comfortable. Now, those in the church office know me, and they know I like to keep my office a certain way. In fact, Someone already this morning, and I think I know who it is, has turned things around in my office. They have reorganized the things on my desk so they are not in the nice, nice, neat, straight lines that they're usually in. It's Laura. She thinks I don't see her. But I have this, I have this, I have this thing about neatness and things being together. And that was never more evident than when Brandy was pregnant with Aaron. And I'll never forget that day. It was one of the happiest days in my life because I got out of John Calvin class early. I got the call and said, Chris, it's time. It's time to go. And I'm like, yes, all right, let's do this. Peace, y'all. And I run home. And I'm in the living room. And I have no idea what to do. I had been planning for this moment for months. Had the bag ready. I had the route. I had two to three routes depending on any sort of traffic issues. I have a plan, I always have a plan. And then I started doing something as my wife, who's pregnant with our first child, is literally laying on the couch with one knee on the ground saying, oh yeah, I think it's time. So what I do, do I whisk her to the hospital? No. I started organizing the pillows on the couch <laughs> because they were out of the order. So then, not only that, I noticed something else in my straightening. I noticed that the playpen is not together. It's in that little brown bag, and it looks like a tent you put in the bag. And I realized, wait, we didn't put the playpen together, because you're just, the baby's gonna come, and we're gonna come right home, and baby needs a place to stay. So guess what I do? I decide that was the time to start putting the playpen together. So I'm sitting there, putting this playpen together, Brandy's hunched over, and she says, can't say what she really said. <laughs> it was something to the effect of, if you don't stop with that playpen and get me in this car to the hospital, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> now, it's, that actually happened. But there was something in there. It, you see, I could not, I was focused on my own thing, my own things, my own sameness that I could not be present in the thing that mattered most at the time. That's what Jesus was saying. That's why his responses seemed harsh. 
Jesus said no one can serve two masters, and I would argue that we love having a whole lot of masters. We do. As much as we, oh, I'm so busy, oh, oh, I can't take it anymore, I'm so busy, we actually enjoy that. We enjoy having 30 to 35 masters because we can parcel out our time. We don't have to have a focus. Because if we commit to one master, everything else changes. Everything else becomes secondary. Our priorities become different. So we engage in this process of having as many masters as we can so we don't have to commit to just one. I remember the words during a time when a pastor considers uh, discerning another call. And one of the questions that any and every search committee will ask a minister is, how do you balance, how do you find balance in your life? It's important. This is a burnout profession. So they ask, they want to know that you can take care of yourself. And my answer was, and always will be, well, that's not possible. There are some times in the life of the church where the church is going to require more of my time than home. There are other times when someone's going to say, hey, Chris, I need you to do this. And I'm going to say, hey, I need you to be the body of Christ because I need to be home. Balance in many ways is not achievable when we operate with a singular focus. It forces us to make decisions and we don't like it. And we may think, well, Jesus is being really mean. I mean, doesn't Jesus come off as a bit of a, a, dare I say, a jerk? I mean, Lord, I'll follow you. Lord, I'm coming. And it's just like, yeah, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I ain't got no place to lay my head. But you want to go say bye to somebody. And we think, wow, this is such a harsh depiction. But we have to consider where he's going. Listen to the text. On their way, they entered the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He didn't stop and have lunch. He didn't stop and have coffee. He didn't stop for a barbecue or a fellowship or a time of just hanging out, which there's nothing wrong with it. But considering Jesus' mission, he didn't have time for that. What was he going to do in Jerusalem? He was on a mission to die. That was his focus. For you, for me, for all of us, for them, y'all, Jesus was super focused on what was before him. Jesus had his own death on his mind. Jesus knew that what he was doing was so important. He knew. I mean, can you imagine thinking that all of the weight of his father's wrath would fall upon him for all of our behalf? And we wonder why he responded that way. He was focused, an unwavering determination. And if you think, man, he sure does seem mean. But when we set our face to following Christ, it changes the conversation. When we set our face to do something, we do it with focus. 
That's why Jesus used this illustration of the plow, right? That's why he, he uses, I mean, if you think about it, it would have been familiar to the hearers. You can't keep a plow in a straight line while looking backwards. It doesn't work that way unless you have eyes in the back of your head. It doesn't work. First of all, the line's going to be all crooked, but also a farmer, if they're pushing the plow, trying to go straight, they're going to run into all their established crops and mess it up. It's hard to serve Christ without a singular focus. Mark Hoffman at Union Seminary likens it to driving and texting. No one who drives and texts is worthy of the road or the way. You can't drive and text at the same time. You have to do one or the other. It's about determination. So why is it so important? Why is it so important, this sense of urgency, to respond to the call of Christ now? Well, others are depending on us to respond to the call to follow Christ. It wasn't just Jesus wanting to complete a task. Jesus had the salvation of the world on his shoulders. Singular focus. He was the only one that could bridge this gap between humankind and God. The only one who could do it. He had to be focused. All of us depended on it. So we are expected to, not to save the world because we can't do that, but we are expected to follow Christ to wherever Christ leads because there are so many people depending on us to do so. How do we respond? Because I believe every day Jesus passes by. No matter where we are, Jesus passes us by. And every single day of our lives, there's an opportunity that Jesus confronts us with and says, will you follow me? When we see a great need, how will we respond? The Pentagon has announced that the current administration has determined that 1,400 immigrant children will be detained at the site of a World War II-era internment camp. Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go say bye to my family. The Uniform Crime Reporting Program released a hate crime statistics report that shows that since 2016, there has been a steady increase in the number of hate crimes in the United States. Well, Lord, I'll go, but first let me go say bye to my family. The Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, their research institute, reports that there are over 393 million guns circulating across the United States of America, which amounts to 120.5 guns available to every 100 U.S. citizens. On an average day, 93 people, including seven children and seven teens, die by gun violence. Lord, I'll follow, but first let me go say bye to my family. University of Texas reported that 313,000 people 
including 97,000 children, are currently caught up and trapped in human trafficking. Lord, I'll go, but first let me go say bye to my family. High-achieving minority students may be exposed to less rigorous curriculums, attend schools with fewer resources, have teachers who expect less of them academically than they expect of similarly situated Caucasian students. Lord, I'll go, but first let me say bye to my family. Think of wealth distribution. 99% of this world lives on 10% of the world's resources. Lord, I'll go, but first let me say bye to my family. According to the Pew Research Center, in a survey, people believe there is little to no distinction between someone who declares themselves as religious as opposed to someone who declares themselves non-religious when it comes to interpersonal relationships, health, and social consciousness. Lord, I'll go, but let me first say goodbye to my family. Do you see it now? Why Jesus responded the way he did to these would-be followers? It's not that he was being mean or nasty, but he was on a mission. There's a work to be done. There's a person to be helped. Other people were counting on him, and people are counting on us to say yes to the call. But there's something about this call, and it's something that's needed because there's a world full of people, there's a community full of people that can't wait on us to figure it out or to negotiate. Mark Hoffman, who I quoted earlier, talks about the absolutism with which Jesus spoke. This absolutism doesn't go over well in today's society when we are led to think that we can have it all. I'm not even sure what are the most important values are in today's culture, but whatever they are, we want them, and we also want to fit Jesus in there somewhere too. So if you take your bulletin cover, there's an image on it. That picture comes from the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what Jesus was focused on. We know where he went from there. Jesus was focused on us. There are needs that require Jesus followers. There are people that need us to be ready at a moment's notice to say yes with no ifs, no ands, and certainly no buts. There is someone in each of our lives, in each of our orbits, that cannot wait for us to say goodbye to those in our homes.